You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Operation Trade Secret looks for intelligence on U.S. trade policy during the run-up to the Sino-American Summit at Mar-a-Lago. Brickerbot is out a PDOS campaign that looks like nasty vigilante work. The Amnesia campaign is after unpatched DVRs. Sotherbot exploits unpatched WordPress instances and infects torrent users. Surveillance and influence operations allegations in the last U.S. presidential campaign have their counterparts in the current French one. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Friday, April 7, 2017. This week, Fidelis Cybersecurity released a timely report on APT-10, a Chinese cyber espionage threat actor that's been active for some time. Fidelis is calling the campaign they've unearthed Operation Trade Secret. Like Operation Cloudhopper, another related APT-10 action being tracked by BAE and PWC, Operation Trade Secret works its way to the targets by getting through cloud and managed service providers. While most of the targets being prospected in Cloudhopper are European, for the most part UK businesses, Trade Secret is going after US organizations. The goals of both campaigns appear to be intellectual property and other economic intelligence. Trade Secret, however, seems to be taking a particularly close look at emerging U.S. trade policy, collecting against U.S. trade lobbying shops like the National Foreign Trade Council. This, of course, is timely, given the Sino-American summit now underway at Mar-a-Lago. Presidents Trump and Xi will be discussing such matters of mutual urgency as North Korean nuclear and long-range missile programs, for which U.S. patience has reached an announced end. U.S. observers and policy analysts hope they take up cooperation and confidence-building in cyberspace. President Xi is said to be anxious to avert a trade war between the two large trading partners, which would explain APT-10's interest in industry groups and lobbyists. There are concerns expressed by NSA officials to Defense One that the PLA could be at work weaponizing a supercomputer for use in espionage campaigns. President Trump has so far struck an optimistic note in his remarks about the meetings, as has President Xi, but it will be worth watching whether bilateral relations in cyberspace prove amenable to diplomatic confidence building. There are signs they have in the past. A strange campaign in the wild that's being called Brickerbot is looking for insecure IoT devices and then bricking them, that is rendering them incapable of operation. Discovered by security firm Radware when the malware began hitting honeypots on March 20th, Brickerbot is baffling because its motive is unclear. It doesn't appear to serve any obvious criminal, hacktivist, or nation-state purposes. Many observers suspect that Brickerbot is a vigilante action conducted by a gray-hat hacker who's trying to kill IoT devices before they can be herded into a botnet. 
As usual, vigilante action, particularly destructive action, doesn't draw rave reviews. Brickerbot is being called a PDOS as opposed to a DDoS attack, permanent denial of service, which suggests the seriousness of its effects. Two strains of Brickerbot have been observed, and both appear bent on punishing users whose IoT installations are insecure. Two other recent campaigns are worth mentioning. Palo Alto's Unit 42 reports on what they're calling Amnesia, a campaign to exploit vulnerable DVRs as bots. Amnesia is a variant of the Tsunami IoT Linux botnet reported in March of 2016. It affects unpatched DVRs manufactured by TVT Digital and related products sold by more than 70 other vendors. Its effects could be serious. Palo Alto thinks the coder behind Amnesia was trying to defeat malware analysis sandboxes, and that in some cases the malware could infect Linux servers in ways that wiped the server. Obviously, Palo Alto adds, that could be catastrophic if backups were not available. The other botnet of current interest has been around for a while, but it's becoming troublesome as it continues to find and compromise insecure WordPress sites. It's called Satherbot, and it uses torrents, those favorites of cheapskates who wish to get software without paying for it, as its vector. The criminals behind it appear to be establishing an infrastructure that could be used to sell services to other criminals on the black market. Satherbot currently contains some 20,000 devices. Security firm ESET, which is tracking and working against the campaign, advises users to protect themselves by not running executables downloaded from sources other than respected developers. ESET also warns against downloading files from sites not primarily in the legitimate file-sharing business. Taking a quick look at our CyberWire event calendar, on Wednesday, April 19th, the Cybersecurity Association of Maryland, which you may know by their acronym KEMI, has organized a program on Cyber Warrior Women, Blazing the Trail. It will meet at the Community College of Baltimore County's Center for the Arts in Catonsville, Maryland. Join them in person or online from 9.30 a.m. to noon for stories of triumph and tribulation, advice and inspiration from some of Maryland's diverse and dynamic female cybersecurity professionals. To register, you can click on the linked banner at our site, thecyberwire.com slash events. Cami notes with gratitude, by the way, the support of Exelon in making the event possible. Concerns about influence operations and allegedly improper surveillance persist in both the U.S. and now France. U.S. congressional investigations, now on hiatus during the two-week recess, which begins at close of business today, are looking into both allegations of improper surveillance and allegations of collusion with Russian influence operations. France's presidential election is being roiled a bit by both as well. The candidate of the center-right Republican Party, François Fio, alleges that President Holland has used police to dig up discreditable information on him, information the truth of which Fio denies. It is perhaps noteworthy that RT, also known as Russia Today, has given the allegations prominent coverage in its French-language service. News needn't be fake to be influential, or so we've heard. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. 
Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. Joining me once again is Professor Avas Rashid. He heads up the Academic Center of Excellence in Cybersecurity Research at Lancaster University. Professor, you maintain that uh, one of the issues we have with IoT devices is not just their vulnerability, but the fact that their actual interfaces are, in many cases, extremely limited. Uh, absolutely. This is this is a big challenge. Securing regular systems is, is hard as it is, and and uh, we do quite a lot of work as 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 a wide community on that. However, users already find it very difficult to make sense of the security controls or features that are available to them on regular devices like laptops and computers, where they can have a lot of information. They also make it really hard. They also find it very hard to make sense of that information. And in the case of I, IoT, the problem problem is much harder because you do not have those traditional uh, screen-based dissemination mechanisms that can provide additional information. A lot of the user's interaction with IoT tends to be implicit, and which leads us to really interesting challenges as to how do we convey information about security to the users, but on the other hand, how can we make it easier for them to, for example, configure these kind of IoT devices for, for security purposes? So what kind of approach should we be taking? I think there are multiple ways that this can be can be tackled. One one issue is uh, that of uh, how IoT devices are are designed, uh, uh, and they should probably be designed uh, uh, for, to be secured by default. So one of the issues that we saw in the Mirai botnet attack, uh, which which was made up of a lot of IoT devices, uh, or at least used a lot of IoT devices amongst others, uh, was that uh, people hadn't changed, for example, default passwords, or or these kind of default settings were available. And on the one hand, it's quite easy to blame the users that they didn't change these passwords uh, or these default settings. But equally, perhaps we can be hardening these devices uh, b- before they are actually shipped. 
The big challenge there, of course, is this balance between usability and security. And really, I think we need more of a shift in our approach. We need to stop thinking about it in terms of usability in a traditional human-computer interaction sense, because the computers are no longer these screen-based devices that we, we, used, uh, we used to use or still use quite a lot. I think we need to move from usability to a, to a notion of some kind of security ergonomics, uh, which basically makes it easier for the user to understand and make sense of what goes on within an IoT device and its interaction with other devices. And there are really very fundamental challenges here in terms of how we design these devices, how we convey information, but also how easy it is for a regular person in the world to uh, to configure uh, security and manage their security and privacy in these kind of devices. Avas Rashid, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. All this week, we've been hearing from some of the people we met at the 2017 Women in Cybersecurity Conference. My guest today is Andrea Little-Lembago. She's chief social scientist at Endgame. I do a lot of research into the geopolitics of cybersecurity, which over the last year, as everyone knows, has uh, been on the been on everyone's radar much more so than it was before. So that has evolved a lot as far as the interest in it. And then I also work a lot with our data scientists, our malware researchers, our vulnerability experts, uh, and bring together their research into something uh, that's consumable for a larger audience. What do you think uh, people should know uh, when it comes to the geopolitical uh, world of uh, cybersecurity at this point in time? One is not to look at it as, as its own stovepipe. It's integrated into foreign policy, national security. Uh, so we need to stop looking at it as just within uh, the cybersecurity realm. It's integrated into all the aspects of foreign policy at this point. Uh, and so we need to really look at it from that larger, more holistic view as far as how it integrates with other uh, military operations. We've seen that over the last year integrated into certain countries' military operations. We've seen it as part of um, diplomatic operations. Uh, it's impacting economics. So really, it crosses the board in that area. And so that's what we're really starting to see that. And it's only going to become more and more integrated across the entire spectrum. Is it, is it fair to say that a certain amount of chaos has been injected into things lately? Uh, I think the chaos has been there. I think it's becoming more visible. Uh, and it's also becoming, it's, it's, it's escalating, is the other thing that we're seeing. Um, we just recently wrote about some of the, the wiper malware going on. And so you see you know, that between Iran and Saudi Arabia, for instance. And so that, those tensions have been there. Those are regional rivalries that have been going on decades, if not centuries. Um, but what we're seeing now is more of a, some of it behind the scenes, some of it very overt as far as the destructive aspects of, of the, um, their interstate relationship. And so we're seeing that in addition to some of the other aspects of their, of their rivalry. And so uh, it's escalating a bit more in that area. Uh, I think certain countries are becoming more um, 
adventurous in, in what they're doing, and they're, and they're pushing the envelope a bit more, bit more to see what, what can be done in this realm. Um, at the same time, other countries are also cooperating. So we're seeing sort of these, this double movement of conflict in one area, but also countries moving towards cooperation uh, and looking for ways to maintain privacy and security uh, at the international level. So does cyber give countries the opportunity to engage and yet still um, you know, not have to drop bombs, not have to send missiles, not have to send soldiers? Right, and that, that's sort of, that, that's what, that is what's going on right now, and that's some of the debate that's going on in the legal uh, and more diplomatic global area. And so, that, so they're falling short of what the law of, law of armed conflict. So certain behavior so far is, is falling short of that. But at the end of the day, it's going to be up for each country to actually de define what, what, where that red line is. And so especially if it becomes... Uh, integrated with other aspects, um, it does become actual parts of war. And so when we look at some countries actually moving their military forces into a country, they're also incorporating some cyber aspects to it, shutting out cities and so forth. And so it hasn't happened much. You know, we've got, got only you know, one or two instances of that. But um, so it's one of those things, you know, now that your genie's out of the bottle, mm -hmm. and it's going to be hard to put back. And so we do see more and more countries doing, getting, creating their versions of cyber commands, um, and looking at information operations, policies, and strategies, and so forth. And so it is something that is growing. It's not just something for the major powers anymore. If you were you know, looking back, if you, what would the advice that you would give a younger version of yourself, knowing what you know now, what would you tell a younger version of yourself who's just starting out? Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. That's uh, you know, part of the reason why I come to this conference is you know, I, I talk to a lot of the younger women here um, and help encourage them because we do need women to keep pursuing this field and, and to want to stay in it because uh, the mission's essential. I mean, you're getting back to the geopolitical aspect of it. This is one of the most challenging at, you know, fields of our, of our time and impactful. So um, the thing that probably you know, own your experience and own your expertise, uh, I think that women especially, even if they've gone through you know, however many years of education, will still portray it like other people may, may know more in the room. And so own your expertise, be more vocal about some of those aspects of it. Do all those things, you sit at the table, it's some of the basic things that we hear. Uh, but also you reach out and, and network more and don't be afraid to do that. Uh, that's especially hard for introverts, um, which a lot of us in this field are. <laughs> it's not natural for us to just naturally you go up and talk, but networking is almost underrated. Like everyone talks about networking and the importance of that. And I feel like they, they think about it that way more from like a sales or something like that, but networking is really important for just building a community so that when you do, you know, when you do struggle or when you do, you hit some roadblocks, you've got that community to actually help build you up and help keep you within the field. And so for me now, like over the last year, one of the things I've been focusing on is expanding out and bringing, building up my network of both men and women that I know um, who work in various domains, industry, academics, government, so that when any of us do actually start, you know, hit one of the challenges that we're all going to hit, and we, you know, we heard that in the keynote, uh, you have a community there to, to support you. And so that, that's really, really important. Um, but we, we need to be more vocal. And that, that, that's, I, I wish I'd started going out speaking and writing a lot sooner. <laughs> Too often the, the women's cybersecurity issue becomes something that is something for, a problem for women to solve. It's also a problem for men to solve. Especially in this field, most of the executives are, are men. We need men at all levels to be allies, which doesn't mean just saying, okay, of course, we support diversity, we support women, and kind of stopping there. You need to actually do more than that. And being an ally can be anything from, you know, on social media, like if you know, retweeting something that someone else does as far as helping show their expertise in that area. So being a sponsor of them. If you're in meetings, you know, all the data shows that, you know, when, when women have an idea, usually it tends to be taken over by someone else and they get the credit for it. Instead of that, if you see that happening, step in and say, well, you know, that idea that, Lindsay said, you know, she's the one who actually, you know, and, and be vocal in that area and helping sponsor and promote the women. And that it doesn't mean, you know, we're not lowering the bar. We're not expecting to be treated differently. But just help be, be a much more uh, 
explicit sponsor in that area. And it really, it's, it's amazing just those little aspects like that can really go a long way to help elevate and amplify the voice of, of the women. And that, that's really what we need because again, we're only 10% of the, of the, of the workforce. We can't do it alone. We, we need that 90% to also help advocate. And I think that's in many places where we've been lacking so far. And we, there are a lot of male allies, a lot of great male advocates. We need more. That's Andrea Little-Limbago from Endgame. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.